people ask how can a dirty polluter be constructed across the street from a park uh, next door to a school and also a thousand feet from homes that makes no sense to us so we need protections we need our elected officials to represent us I think we should we should keep working together. I, I think you know one of the things we have to do a better job of is, is not talking past each other, but talk to each other about this. Welcome to the Cloudcast, a podcast by the Daily Line. This is episode thirteen, and the date is June twenty-first. I'm your host, Carolyn Kaczynski. With racial justice at the forefront of civic debate and a spate of high-profile accidents and relocations in the city's heavy industry firms, the idea of environmental justice has catapulted into headlines over the last year. From the botched Hillco demolition in 2020, to General Iron's pending relocation to the southeast side, to a recently approved development close to Matt Asphalt in McKinley Park, lawmakers have faced increased pressure from advocates to make sure the city does right by its residents who have been historically impacted by the adverse effects of heavy industry, often low-income people of color. I spoke to one of those lawmakers, Alderman George Cardenas of the 12th Ward, and one of the advocates, Alfredo Romo, of Neighbors for Environmental Justice, about where they see the city going as citizens demand environmental justice. So can you tell me a little bit about who you are and what Neighbors for Environmental Justice does and how you guys got started? Uh, Sure. Um, Well, my name is Alfredo Romo. I'm a resident of McKinley Park. I'm a founding member uh, of Neighbors for Environmental Justice. Um, Who we are, I mean, we are a group that you know, came together uh, when Matt Asphalt came into our community without notification nor community input uh, and no benefits to to the residents of this beautiful uh, McKinley Park community. Um, who we are, we, I mean, we want to keep our environment healthy uh, for our families, children, and neighbors. We want to make sure we have advanced notice on any major development that is being planned, especially in industrial corridors. We want to work with local politicians to strengthen environmental laws. We also want to work to have Matt Asphalt relocated to an area away from residences, areas of recreation and schools. We are also interested in the broader environmental issues like legacy pollution and lead in our water and homes. Uh, and one of the things that we have been doing for the last three years has been air monitoring on the southwest side. We would also like to serve as a community organization to give our community notification of future developments which require a pollution permit to operate. We would also like to continue to learn more and pass on what we have learned to our community. Um, In addition to that, we would also like to promote environmental considerations in all development on the the southwest side. And beyond Met Asphalt uh, and the PMDs, we are interested in other environment and health issues, including lead in our water and homes, dust and hazards from improper demolition or maintenance of old buildings and legacy pollutants such as soil or buildings located in the PMD. So Neighbors for Environmental Justice came out against the mayor's industrial air quality ordinance last year. That ordinance saw a lot of revisions to items that included permit requirements for logistics facilities and a requirement for industrial proposals to be approved by the Zoning Board of Appeals. Mayor Lightfoot and some aldermen did tout the ordinance as a step forward for environmental regulations, although the measure passed without support from advocacy groups, including yours. So why did Neighbors for Environmental Justice take the position that it did? I don't think that we actually supported that ordinance. Uh, you know, let's keep in mind that, you know, the, the Chicago mayor and the city council passed uh, a polluter friendly ordinance uh, and they called it a reform. 
we can't wait for local government to protect communities from dirty industry. Um, the state needs to act. Um, so I would like to point out uh, three, you know, sort of like citywide uh, campaigns. The Mad Asphalt, that's the campaign that we're, uh, you know, pushing against. This plant is in the McKinley Park community, went up without public notice or engagement and is still running. And that's not right. Communities should be making the decisions that directly affect their lives and health. Uh, another campaign that I would also like to bring out is the Chicago hunger strike uh, in the southeast side. That campaign went on for 30 days with no response from the Chicago mayor. Local government isn't listening to communities. And what's more, they legally don't have to. Another one that I would like to point out is uh, the Hilco campaign uh, in Little Village. Uh, that's another uh, area that we were super concerned about the way that that particular site was being dismantled uh, knowingly of all the implications uh, that it was bringing to the little village community. So we're asking ourselves, why do some neighborhoods get green space and luxury development while others are stuck with pollution and chronic health problems? Zoning is the new redlining um, and it, it needs to stop. So you just mentioned the Matt Asphalt plant and the recently developed or recently approved 120 unit housing uh, block across from McKinley Park and nearby that plant. And like you said, that decision raised a lot of debate over the tension between the need for affordable housing and the risks of placing that housing so close to an industrial site. So Alderman George Cardenas was a really vocal advocate for the project, which would take place in his ward. He said that the plan commission and city council should really trust him as the alderman who knew the situation on the ground in his ward. And he said, because I think that this project uh, has covered all of its bases, it should go ahead. Do you think the city council system of aldermanic prerogative over that kind of new development is conducive to good housing and environmental outcomes for their ward's residents? Well, what I think is that, uh, you know, our elderman, George Cardenas, should uh, pay more attention to the concerns that we have with regards to Mad Asphalt. Um, we do welcome the affordable housing. We know that the city is getting more expensive uh, by the day. Um, but the problem here is the plant. Uh, so Chicago, you know, for decades uh, has gone through very racist housing practices that have left many black and brown residents in desperate need of affordable places to live. Telling those people that they have to live next to a, a, a petroleum processing plant uh, to get it is racist full stop. Uh, that is simple solution, right? So how can we close or move the plant? I think that that's where the question really is. Um, and, you know, just going back to the city council, if you voted to put the affordable housing next to Matt Asphalt, now you're responsible for what happens to the people who live there, uh, to the elders who reluctantly supported this project, who said, open quote, I don't support the plants, I support the housing. Now you're responsible, uh, you know, for the health of these, you know, vulnerable people. So we live here and we just want to let, you know, sort of like, uh, our elderman Cardenas know that, you know, he should pay more attention to what's going on with Met Asphalt and the environmental concerns that our residents have. 
these are real uh, issues that are happening on a daily basis. Uh, people are literally waking up to strong chemical smells uh, in their kitchen sets, in their bedrooms, in their backyards. Uh, people are definitely uh, raising concerns um, of how overwhelming the pollution is, uh, and especially in nearby our beautiful open green space of McKinley Park. So you mentioned another project that sparked a huge amount of environmental justice discussion, and that's the relocation of Southside Recycling and General Iron to the east side. A judge recently ruled against a complaint of environmental racism on the part of the city, but the city is still reviewing Southside Recycling's permit application. What's the next step for Neighbors for Environmental Justice's campaign against uh, that relocation? So we just got to keep up with the with the with the pressure. Uh, we need to, you know, we we need we we need to understand um, as organizations and also as a city, right? That um, you know, many of our, you know, residents uh, and also elected officials might take our environment and health for granted. Uh, black and brown and indigenous communities across Illinois have experienced generations of concentrated toxic industrial pollution at the hands of dirty industry, green-lighted by state and local governing bodies. So we need to figure out how to um, you know, bring reform uh, to these issues, uh, especially at the state level. We need, uh, we need to stop this systemic racism um, that has definitely shaped land use practices in environmental justice communities, often BIPOC and working class resulting in devastating rates of pollution and costly and chronic health impacts. So we need to continue to apply the pressure, uh, you know, in order for our representatives to hear the concerns and the uh, environmental grievances that much of these vulnerable communities have taken the brunt for many decades. Do you think the city has an environmental justice framework for evaluating development proposals right now? I honestly don't think they do. Um, you know, just going back to this uh, affordable housing project not right next door um, to Matt Asphalt, I think that that's a clear illustration uh, of how disconnected um, the Department of Planning and Development is uh, when it comes to, you know, land use and zoning. Um, another, another way to sort of like bring an example is Matt Asphalt itself. You know, people ask, how can a dirty polluter be constructed across the street from a, from a park uh, next door to a school and also a thousand feet from homes. That makes no sense to us. And that really clearly um, illustrates to us once again, that they're not really taking into consideration uh, what an environmental justice community is. Uh, so we need protections. We need our elected officials to represent us. Uh, and we need for them to really understand uh, that you know, these, this pollution is really affecting um, the well-being of our families. So what should the city do to regulate industrial development so that it doesn't have negative impacts on its citizens? I think that one of the things that, you know, the city can actually do is, for one, to bring back the Department of Environment. Uh, we know that, you know, back when Rahm Emanuel was in charge, he basically got rid of the Department of uh, Environment. Uh, we know that the Department of uh, Chicago, um, uh, I'm sorry, the Department of Health uh, 
um, they don't have the capacity uh, to enforce environmental regulations. Uh, so we also need, um, you know, state agencies and local departments to communicate with one another, uh, especially when it comes to environmental issues um, across the city of Chicago. Climate change is quickly becoming a reality in different ways for communities across the country as well. What are your concerns for Chicago as it weathers the impact of climate change? I think that what concerns me is that, you know, we continue to uh, see the implications of, um, you know, an abundance of transportation, um, you know, the stationary uh, emitters. um, And there seems to be no sort of correlation uh, as to what's happening with the climate change. Um, We sort of think about climate change you know, sort of like nationally and globally, uh, and people are sort of disconnected from the hyperlocal issues. Uh, So I think for us is really understanding how to address, um, you know, the emissions that are are happening in the front lines. Those are the communities that are definitely being the most impacted. uh, And we we should start with that. Uh, We need to figure out how to create moratoriums uh, for transportation distribution logistics coming into uh, vulnerable communities. We don't need no more congestion. We don't need no more diesel pollution. Um, so I think that for us is really about finding ways um, to, you know, even electrifying heavy-duty vehicles. This uh, investment from fossil fuel-based industries and also regulatory body over freight uses in the region. Um, and once again, land use and zoning reform is a must. You've already started to answer this, but what do you think the city and the state can do in terms of concrete policies that helps mitigate the impact of climate change? I think that what they need to do is invest in in green manufacturing, Uh, you know, um, invest in green uh, initiatives that can actually uh, retrain our people uh, in different areas. Uh, I think another thing that they can actually do is um, defund CPD and use that money to fund resources like housing healthcare, food, uh, education. Uh, so there's definitely different ways that we can actually, um, you know, you know, bring more sort of um, better results, you know, for the overall well-being of the city of Chicago. Alfredo Romo, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, Alderman. You were a primary sponsor of the Clean Air Ordinance earlier this year, which you've pointed to as evidence that the city is moving forward on environmental justice. What work do you think that ordinance left undone, if any at all? Um, I think the work undone is is that we just did not tackle this cumulative impact um, framework that I had started about a year ago and that I introduced a resolution calling uh, uh, for for that. Uh, So that's work to be done and that's sitting um, uh, at the CSO's, uh, CSO's desk. This is Angela Tovars' uh, um, task, really, to, to kind of provide an update uh, as she was to be uh, working on and developing this framework from an environmental standpoint, working with communities, working with organizations to make sure that, you know, we hit all the right points and, and all the issues that are, that are, that are um, germane to the conversation are addressed. You've been a vocal proponent of aldermanic prerogative when it comes to development within a ward. Do you think there's a role for the city to play in terms of enforcing environmental justice across wards? 
or do you think that should be left up to aldermen? Look, I, I think the framework itself uh, has to be um, coordinated uh, with with the administration, with the city, with the city departments to make sure that it's executed uh, in the way that it's supposed to. When I talk about aldermen and prerogative, I, I, I talk about decisions, the development, the nature um, that uh, really, if you look at it, uh, sometimes decisions are made uh, without community input, right? Uh, whether it's a building, whether it's an industry, uh, that all of a sudden you get decision has been made by an agency like the Board of uh, Zoning Board of Appeals, uh, where you had no input. Uh, I just think that's wrong. I, I think communities uh, must be part of the process in the housing development that you're going to talk about. There was a robust community process where ideas were exchanged, presentations were made, uh, a debate was 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 long for almost two years on the merits of that development. Um, notwithstanding the, the issues of uh, folks uh, making decisions on where public dollars should go. Uh, but at the end of the day, we did have a robust uh, debate uh, about the merits of that. Uh, and of course, decisions were made in the end. And, and that's how it should be. Uh, communities should weigh in one way or the other and kind of balance uh, the needs of the community uh, in the end, right? Uh, it's housing uh, important, of course, it's critical. Uh, it's environmental uh, protection important, of course, it's also critical. And so how do you balance those out with science, right? Not emotion, but science. Um, and so that's what we are, we're, we're coming to terms with is providing the science, getting the science, making sure the environmental uh, protection agencies that we rely on give us that science, give us that data in order to put that before the public. Um, and, and, and so that they know and that they're gonna know that their, their health is, is protected. At uh, the planning commission meeting from last month in May, there was a significant amount of resistance to the proposed uh, 120 units of affordable housing uh, across from McKinley Park and close by the Matt Asphalt plant. Were you surprised by that resistance? Uh, I was uh, because the planning commission, it's a body that reviews proposed developments uh, from a zoning perspective, uh, from a plan use perspective. And, and so this whole idea uh, of environmental framework was sort of uh, thrown in there at the last minute. Uh, I'm not against it. Uh, I think that we are going to move forward on it and talk about how do we embed that, that, that uh, theory, which I talked about early on with my, uh, with my um, overall uh, uh, community of uh, what we call cumulative impact um, in, in the study that, that should be coming forth hopefully soon by, by the CSO. Uh, really, that that's really addressing right cumulative in, impact, and then how to embed that into proposed development so that um, you know we can make good decisions on land use uh, as well as environmental protection. But but in the meeting, I was clear about the fact that the meeting was a planned development. Uh, it was not a meeting on environmental protection. And so, going off of that, what do you think a successful environmental justice framework would look like in Chicago? Well, I, I think a lot of it that's what's happening at, um, at, at the state level. If you see what CGI in, in you know the uh, the push and trying to pass some some legislation that that, um, that creates uh, an environmental framework for uh, for the state really as a whole, right? Uh, so, what do we go forward on climate change? How do we go forward on electrification and 
on diminishing uh, uh, the, um, you know, the, the impacts uh, of degradation, pollution, and so forth, uh, especially on communities of color. Uh, so uh, there's definitely much debate to be had. Uh, even the state could not pass uh, legislation on that, and they're going to go back and make sure that the, hopefully they pass it. So it's a very much, uh, it's a topic of, 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 um, of the now. Um, I'm glad to be part of that. And not just at the state, I think in the city, once we have that at the state level sort of worked out, we, we, would, we should look uh, to the city to look at industries and look at uh, uh, communities where they are really bear the brunt uh, of all the industry that is in the city. How, how do we mitigate that? And, and how do we um, coexist? Because uh, I think we can coexist. But what are the mitigating factors that, that can be applied uh, going forward? Um, if, you, if you're within the vicinity of an industry uh, uh, within distance, uh, is that with the science allowing that to be possible? But you know, air filtration, as it was, it was talked about during the, um, uh, develop, the uh, housing development meeting, uh, was critical. Uh, State-of-the-art filtration systems, state-of-the-art uh, window treatments and things like that that I think uh, really uh, set up uh, folks that are going to be living in these units uh, in a big way. They're going to be more protected than a million-dollar home uh, next to a similar industry uh, as was also talked about during the meeting. And so how do you think the city should go about evaluating existing environmental concerns or potential problems like the Hillco demolition from last year in 2020. What could have been done differently there? What would you recommend? Well, you gotta, you gotta take a step back in terms of uh, understanding the, the uh, uh, framework that currently exists, which is uh, we have planned development districts, PMDs, uh, as, as of right, certain particular industries as of right can develop. Um, it can go directly to the city and propose the development as of right, uh, as long as they need all of these requirements that are already in place, right? With the environmental framework, there's an added layer that would, I would hope, would ask that industry or that particular business uh, to take into account uh, environmental factors um, and emissions, um, um, as well as the use of, of their, I don't know, their fleet, if you will, uh, in terms of emitting uh, diesel and, and, and those type of gases. Uh, what else could they do to kind of uh, foment and also um, uh, improve uh, the quality of life in the surrounding communities by offsetting the cumulative impact uh, of not just air, the air pollution itself, but also the quality of life of, of you know, heavier traffic uh, near boundaries of residential neighborhoods. What should developers be doing with their proposals to head off environmental concerns at the outset? So an example being at the Planning Commission in May, uh, there were a lot of concerns about the window and the air filtration for the new housing development across from McKinley Park. And do you think that there's anything that they could have done differently to have mitigated that concern? You know, it's always a communication issue, I think. I think from a communication standpoint, um, it could always be better, uh, uh, the way you exchange information. Uh, the way you have um, uh, these meetings and, and, and you know, sort of a, 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 a truth uh, barometer, right? You know, how much of this is true and how much of it is not? How much of it is science and how much of it is not science? And, and, and to me, what I took from it 
is the fact that uh, these developers could have talked a little bit more about all the environmental uh, things, good things that they were doing for the property, where, whether it's they were putting solar panels, uh, uh, whether it's a green roof, um, uh, not just the windows, uh, uh, if you will, but but that was that was great that, that even the windows were, were being also thought of as, as important. Uh, uh, if somebody wanted to you know, leave their, their windows open, um, you know, uh, the screens and, and other things to, to help the airflow of that particular unit, um, which should also also been highlighted. Uh, the air filtration systems now are, are, are very much uh, important. Uh, this pandemic, if that taught us anything, is the fact that, you know, circulation of air in households is critical to keep folks healthy. Uh, and so that was, that was, that was also uh, pretty big. Uh, the use uh, of um, uh, of uh, the not, not cement, but when you use um, uh, what do you call it, a porous uh, cement uh, that uh, allows for the water to seep into the ground more easily, right? Instead of runoff uh, into the sewer system, so uh, the sequestration of, of that water and, and 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 its impact within the building. Uh, and uh, it's uh, not just filtration, uh, but it, but it's over, it's overall uh, what do you call it impact within the building. I think is is something to you know uh, to think about the recycling of the water, if you will. And so, what is your response to community groups who still have concerns about this kind of development, whether it's across from McKinley Park or elsewhere, in spite of planning commission approval and approval from the Department of Planning and Development? I think we should we should keep working together. I, I think you know one of the things we have to do a better job of is, is not talking past each other, but talk to each other about this. And this is a project that you know this this uh, this building had had been empty for two decades, um, and it was important for the community to kind of reset uh, on development and reset on priorities that the community wants to see and wants to see developed and wants to see uh, uh, come to light. Uh, but I, I think we can keep working uh, on these type of developments and improve them, improve them to a point where, you know, they get what they want, we get what we want, the community gets what it wants. Uh, I think it can be, it can happen, it, it can be done, but we got to just keep working on that. Uh, you you got to understand this is something that just uh, that just happened. You know, uh, I know I stumbled on the on the on the pavement, which is permeable uh, pavers that I call. I'm asking a lot of developers um, to make sure that they have those in their in their developments. Um, uh, so anyway, there's just so many things that I think uh, are important. And as a brief follow-up, just what's your plan to engage those kind of concerned ward residents? Well, you know, we, we're going to keep having meetings. Uh, we're going to have keep uh, proposing legislation uh, that. Uh, speaks to our commitment to keep improving uh, the environmental uh, uh, concerns uh, of communities like mine and, and others in the southeast side and the southwest sector. Uh, I think it, it just you have to be committed to it. I know there's a lot of back and forth on it. People don't trust it. But to me, it's important to, to have and implement that, that, that commitment in, in ways that are real. And the way that that can happen is through legislation, uh, is through action, uh, not just kind of, you know, uh, 
not just talking about it, uh, you know, definitely not ignoring it, but confronting it. Do you think that given the current climate around environmental justice concerns and tighter city regulation of uh, heavy industry sites, do you think that Matt Asphalt would have been able to open uh, if it were being proposed today? Yeah, I, I, I highly, uh, um, uh, yeah, I highly doubt that. And, and the reason is because, you know, most developments now with this new um, IAN environmental protection, especially air quality ordinance that we, that we push through, these type of developments first were flagged um, and can't just open up by right of zoning, right? And so, uh, you know, it's a teaching moment. I mean, you know, Chicago has moved on from different things of how things were done uh, to be, you know, more cognizant, to be more, more uh, uh, aware uh, of real concerns uh, from communities. Are our cities changing? Uh, the makeup of, of, the, of, of the industries that were once part of Chicago, you can see are clearly gone. Uh, the map of Chicago, what it was in the 1970s, uh, from a residential standpoint, and folks used to live here, has uh, also has changed dramatically. And so what you see now, most of the industry moving to where uh, there's a lot of open space, and that's in the Southwest sector, which is part of my, you know, my ward and, and others. Uh, it's, they're seeing that opportunity and, and they're coming in and pretty heavy. So, you know, our response has to be, um, you know, hold on a second, let's look at cumulative impact. You know, I think that we can balance industry's growth uh, in protecting communities uh, like ours. One of the saving uh, grace things that I see is that, look, we're at the right time and, and right moment for electrification um, of, of, of our uh, vehicular industry, uh, the trucks and, and cars and so forth and vans as well. And, and I think that's going to cut down emissions significantly uh, which is going to improve air quality uh, in the surrounding communities like you know, like mine. So um, we are, five, uh, I'd say, five years out from critical mass. So I'm excited about that. Um, so that's one aspect. The other aspect is just the pollution of the industries itself, right? How do we mitigate that? And how do we keep an eye on those? And, and how do we keep um, inspecting them in, in, in a way that, that you know, keeps the data uh, and is transparent about what's going on there so that so people have real time, real data, and, and real impact uh, without emotion uh, playing uh, at the beginning of it. Uh, it should be in the end of it. Is there anything I should have asked you and didn't ask you? Um, well, I think we, you know, again, I, I think we, you know, to summarize, um, uh, you know, it's critical that we we work on the framework, obviously, the environmental framework, that we work on cumulative impact and, and, and look from the studies that that should be uh, arriving shortly and that uh, the CSO, for example, should take head on and, and make recommendations to, to uh, the committee and also to the administration on it. Um, we also have to invest, you know, invest in, in the environmental protection area and create uh, and fully create a department of, of the environment in this city. And, and I think that that's gonna speak volumes in terms of our priorities. And I call that, you know, two years ago uh, when, uh, a new council was seated, uh, and I called for the Department of uh, a new creation of the Department of the Environment. I still call for that, and, and I hope that we uh, that we uh, get to it this year, following year. But I think 
uh, before my time's up, I'm going to make sure that that happens, right? Um, you cannot fight environmental degradation and, and, uh, and fight these polluters without having the resources uh, to, to inspect uh, uh, the, way, the way they should be. Uh, you know, this, this city uh, currently underfunds that, that, uh, that initiative. And I think we, we, need, we have to invest more uh, in its priorities, uh, not just in the legislation, but also on the, on the protection side, on the enforcement side, which is critical. Yeah. So, you know, we, there's a lot of complaints. You know, we, we, we got to see which ones are, 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 have merit uh, based on the science of it uh, and which ones uh, are ruled not, not to be within, within the vicinity of either the time frame of operations uh, or the type of complaint that it may be. And to be fair to constituents and to be fair to the industry so that we get it right. It's more importantly to get it right uh, than, than people believe that if, that if, call, if they make all these calls that something's going to happen. Uh, I believe that it's, as, it's based on the science and on, and on the facts uh, that's going to move the needle in a big way. So to me, it's important to be able to get to that with the right resources from the city and from other organizations as well. Um, you know, we, to this, to this day, uh, apartment planning has not, has not been able to provide inventory of businesses uh, in the plant manufacturing district. You know, again, it, it's, it's based on data, it's based on science. We need to know what we have. We need to know the output that, that we currently have in order to ascertain what the overall risk level is um, and, and, and head it off, right? Um, that's where the comprehensive uh, land use planning comes in uh, and communities are, are, are demanding uh, and they should have, right? The cumulative impact efforts uh, is part of that. And so I'm gonna make sure on my end that uh, we, get, we get there, that we get to, to having that, that debate in my committee uh, to see how we're going to address that and what mitigating factors we're going to be able to, uh, uh, to advance. So, you know, again, the, the land use planning, zoning is part of it. Environmental protection is another piece of it. Working with the state is, is another of it uh, as well. And then uh, new technologies is also part of it. So we have a lot of work to do on that. And uh, it's just gonna keep us busy, but I'm excited to the fact that, that you know, I think better outcomes are coming. Alderman Cardenas, thank you so much for coming. Thank you, thanks for the invite. That's it for this episode of The Cloudcast. I'm Carolyn Kudzanski. Thanks again to our interviewees, Alfredo Romo and Alderman George Cardenas. Thanks also to Joel Ebert, who produced this episode, and Alex Nitkin, who provided editing assistance. We'll be back in your feeds with another episode in two weeks. See you then.